The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. John Fesco. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Let's bow together in a brief word of prayer. Let us pray. Father God, we are grateful that you have uh, brought us here, that we may reflect briefly upon your word. And however brief it may be, we pray that you would bless us, uh, that you would use your word uh, to uh, remove uh, the dross uh, of our lives and to refine us and to purify us, that we might bring glory to your name and exalt the name of Christ. We ask these things in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, the faculty has been continuing its uh, devotional series uh, through the book of 2 Corinthians. And so for this morning, I've uh, chosen first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 6. So I'll read that, and then we'll reflect for a few moments upon uh, this uh, small text. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and uh, let's read verses 1 through 6. Hear now the word of God. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and uh, inspired word. Uh, There is a lot of speculation uh, and uh, educated guesswork when it comes to the background, at least the historical background, uh, for the words that Paul employs here uh, when he invokes the idea of imagery and uh, warfare, in particular of breaking down strongholds, destroying strongholds, in fact. They think that where this imagery likely comes from is uh, Roman siege warfare, something that was quite common in Paul's day. Uh, where you had the Romans, they would build ramparts uh, and uh, leading up to uh, a rock fortress, and they would assault the walls. They would uh, perhaps use battering rams to crash through the walls. Regardless of the source of the imagery, this is the nature that Paul ascribes uh, to ministry and to the church's engagement with unbelief. He uses this. He says, particularly in verses 3 and following, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So what I'd like us to do is reflect upon those words, uh, the nature as to what it means when it says that we have the ability, we have the weapons uh, to destroy these strongholds, these lofty opinions, these arguments that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. And so what I want to do is I want to reflect upon it under two headings. First, uh, the church's tendency 
to seek other weapons in our warfare, the church's tendency to seek other weapons in our warfare, and then secondly, uh, identifying the weapons of our warfare, God's word and ultimately really the gospel of Christ. So what of the first? Why does the church have a tendency to seek other weapons in our battle against unbelief? Well, perhaps there are many different reasons that we could identify, but I think one of them is impatience. And I don't think that this is something that has particularly stricken the contemporary church uh, in isolation from the rest of the church. I think we could find impatience on a number of fronts. Uh, You think, for example, back to the Garden of Eden. God says, this is the way I want you to do this. Do not eat from the tree. Uh, But yet the serpent comes along and says, if you eat of the tree, you'll gain God's knowledge. Here's a shortcut. Think, for example, of the impatience that marked uh, the disciples. They kept on asking, now, O Lord, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? This even after the events of the crucifixion of Christ, where he says, I'm going to pour out the Spirit. They impatiently waited. Is it now? Uh, Think, for example, of the martyrs that sit or that dwell beneath the throne of God in the book of Revelation. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth? We find the saints at various points throughout the scriptures uh, being impatient. I think one example, uh, really, uh, at least in my mind, one of the clearest examples, is when God gave to Abraham the promise of the covenant. And Abraham wanted to see that promise fulfilled. And so what did he do? He set aside the promise, he set aside God's word, and sought to pursue and lay hold of that promise by this worldly means, fleshly means, fleshly efforts. And we see the Apostle Paul, for example, talk about uh, his efforts to lay hold of those promises through Hagar, which he contrasts as saying that this is Mount Sinai, which gives birth to, to, to children of slavery. In Abraham's case, he set aside, in a sense, I think, the weapons of his warfare, his uh, trust and faith in God's word, and sought to bring about only what could come by faith in God's promise, faith in his word, and instead pursued it by fleshly means. Well, in Paul's context here, in these uh, words that opened up the 10th chapter, he has been accused of that precise thing. He says in verse 2 that he's been accused of walking according to the flesh. We're not sure exactly as to what the nature of that accusation was. One of the themes in 2 Corinthians is the idea of Paul's seemingly uh, meager ministry in comparison with the very flashy ministry of the super apostles. In other words, Paul wasn't working in the power of the Spirit. The analogy is imprecise, but imagine, for example, the flash that you might see, uh, the brilliance that you might see in uh, Benny Hinn, you know, uh, knocking people over with the Spirit and all sorts of uh, supposed miracles versus the seemingly meager ministry of a pastor humbly preaching God's Word. One might seem much more fantastic. Uh, One preacher is dressed in a white suit, (laughs) 
The other is dressed in far meager dress, right? Well, Paul was accused of walking according to the flesh. I don't think in the present day we have to go very far to find people in the church setting aside the weapons of our warfare and indeed walking in the flesh and seeking to secure the blessings of the gospel and advance the church's cause by means of the flesh. I looked high and low and could not find it, but I remember a number of years ago uh, watching with a, a bit of amusement as somebody forwarded me a link to a church's worship service where, you know, you click the YouTube video and uh, all of a sudden pyrotechnics, you know, um, lights going everywhere. And I don't know what to call it, but these group of guys, musicians came out and they started playing uh, 80s rock and roll. Poison, to be precise, talk dirty to me. Um, and uh, they, did, they did their thing, and I'm just kind of watching, and you know, you see the, the church, and they're kind of doing their thing. Um, and then after that, the pastor came running out with his Britney Spears mic. Um, and uh, he was, of course, dressed, you know, uh, very hiply. Um, and so he started saying, yeah, welcome to our church service. And, you know, this is, uh, we've been doing our series on 80s music. And I was really scratching my head because I was trying to figure out what this song that was aimed to uh, excite the libido of teenagers back in the 80s had to do with the ministry of the gospel. Setting aside the weapons of our warfare, in a sense, and really, in this case, I think a clear case of walking according to the flesh or seeking to uh, bring about the ministry of the gospel through uh, the flesh. For whatever reason, I think the church looks and says, well, certainly the word isn't enough. It's insufficient. We have to augment. We have to supplement. We have to do something more. There has to be something else that we can do. Surely the word is insufficient un unto itself. Well, I think that this is one of the things that Paul was addressing because of the accusation brought against his own ministry, which brings us to our second point. And that Paul very clearly states in verse 3 that though he walks in the flesh, he doesn't walk according to it. It's a fine-toothed distinction. In other words, Paul wants us to recognize, look, I'm not asking you to cease to be human. There's a sense in which you have to be human. You have to conduct yourself in a human way. You can't escape that. But there's a difference between being human and sinning in a fleshly manner. Walking in the flesh, walking according to the flesh, living as a human being, living as a sinful or acting as a sinful human being according to uh, this worldly way. And so in this case, he contrasts acting in a this worldly way with in verse 4 with using weapons that are not of the flesh. There is a distinct character to the ministry of the gospel. It is not this worldly. It is not of the flesh. But rather it has the divine power to destroy strongholds. Uh, there were a series of wars that Rome conducted prior to Paul's life where there were about a hundred rock fortresses built uh, along the Sicilian coast and, uh, or the uh, uh, Cilician coast. 
and uh, the Romans would bring their siege works and crush through these rock fortresses. That's the idea. He says, that's the nature. Those are the na- that's the nature of the weapons of our warfare. It doesn't matter what unbelief sets up against the arguments of the scriptures. It doesn't matter what they bring to the table. Our weapons have the power to destroy these things, to take them captive, to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, verse 5. Well, what's he referring to? Well, I think the weapons of our warfare ultimately is the word of God. Think, for example, of Paul's statement in the sixth chapter of Ephesians regarding the sword of truth and the power that he attributes to it. Think, for example, of Paul's statements about the power of the gospel in the opening of Romans, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes or at least a little bit closer to home in terms of what he's writing in 2 Corinthians, think about what Paul has said about the gospel ministry of the new covenant. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's an amazing statement. What he is saying here is that the very same power that God wielded in the creation of the universe, bringing forth all of the worlds that we see, all of the stars, and everything in this creation is the very same power that ministers of the gospel and that the church wields in the propagation of the gospel through the word. Same word that said, let there be light, and there was light, and it was good is the same word that goes forth when we say, repent. Repent of your sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The weapons of Paul's warfare were powerful and able to destroy anything that crossed its path. But note what gets destroyed. And here's an important point in Paul's statements. What gets destroyed are the arguments and the lofty opinions, not the people that wield those arguments and lofty opinions. I think so often in the church, especially if the church feels as if it's downtrodden, if it's ridiculed, uh, if it's persecuted even, the desire can want to be to exact vengeance or to show that the gospel is superior and to ridicule the people that hold these false opinions. And we perhaps attack the people rather than the ideas and the opinions. When we wield the weapons of our warfare, our desire is to strike a clean blow. It's a surgical strike against the lofty opinions, against the arguments, not against the people. Ideally, in the church's ministry, there should be no collateral damage. There should be no collateral damage where we uh, miss and we strike the people rather than the ideas. Now, don't get me wrong. I know that the unbelievers can often complain that we have, uh, uh, we have hit them rather than their ideas. So in one sense, we have to use wisdom and we have to recognize that our, we have to stand before God and say we've done our best to strike at the opinions, to strike at the arguments, rather than to ridicule the people. Because in the end, we have to remember that we are all beggars showing other hungry people where to find a meal. 
doesn't belong to us. We're simply showing them the grace of the gospel of Christ. Keeping these things in mind, we have to recognize that there are no other worthy weapons for our warfare. Now, to borrow another Pauline image from the Corinthian correspondence, when we uh, bring forth the ministry of the gospel and when we seek to destroy these lofty opinions and these arguments that raise themselves against the knowledge of God, we cannot argue, we cannot defend, we cannot fight with wood, hay, or stubble, or straw. But rather, we have to fight with that which is consistent with the gospel foundation of the church. We have to bring the weapons, if you will, that are consistent with the gold, silver, and precious gems of the architecture of Christ's church. There are philosophies that are incompatible with the gospel. There are methodologies that are at odds with the biblical ministry. There is conduct that does not conform with godliness. So we have to resist the temptation to employ any other weapon in our warfare and always interrogate every single assumption and claim that we bring uh, to the ministry of the gospel to ensure our fidelity to Christ. I want to close with uh, one brief illustration, and it comes from my childhood. Um, I can remember as a child that uh, my parents uh, got on this health kick, and I'm not sure why. And uh, they would make our lunches. And um, they said, okay, we're going to send you to school with your lunch, and you have a juice. All right, that's good. Uh, We'll give you a a hard-boiled egg, because eggs are good for you. It's like, okay, all right, I guess that'll work. And we'll give you a boiled potato. And I just thought, boiled potato? Uh, Okay, I'm not sure why. Well, that's good for you. Well, what about some chips? No, 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 boiled potato. This is what I used to eat for lunch, uh, said my parents or my mom. And I was like, all right. Do you know how hard it is to trade a boiled egg and a boiled potato on the lunch bartering system at school? You know, people have Twinkies and Ho-Hos and the Ding Dongs, and you're like, what do you have? Do you want to trade? Do you want a potato? It's like, no, I don't want a potato. Go away. I mean, so there I sat, you know, with my potato gnawing on it, uh, thinking, why do I have this? And I kept on thinking, because it's good for me. I can't help but think that that's the way we often think about God's word. We think we sit there in the lunch yard of the world, gnawing on, our, uh, on what we think is a boiled potato, uh, when in reality, it's not that. It is far more than that. It is far more powerful. It has the power to destroy these strongholds. One of my friends in seminary once said, you know, I love these Puritan prayers that I've been reading. They really make the word of God come alive. And one of my other friends said, you fool, the word of God was never dead to begin with. If we recognize what the word of God is, that it has the power to destroy strongholds, Regardless of the motivation, regardless of impatience, regardless of being perceived as being not fitting in, as being out of place, we will take the word into the world 
uh, through the ministry of the gospel, and we will have confidence in its ability to accomplish the ends for which God has set it forth, which is to bring people to salvation, to repent, and to bow the knee to Christ. Don't forget that. Don't lose your confidence in the word. Remember how powerful it is, and don't set it aside for any other weapon. Let's bow together in a brief word of prayer. Father, give us fidelity, give us confidence, give us encouragement. May we always remember how powerful the weapons of our warfare truly are. And we pray that we would use them well to strike down these arguments and lofty opinions and never to strike at the people uh, whom you place before us. That we would remember that we too are sinners saved by your grace and that we would seek to extend that grace to many others. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright 2016, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.